This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hello, Asian Madness listeners. Happy 2021. And maybe you're thinking, Jessica, it's already February. Well, this is the first episode of the year for me, so it's basically an obligatory greeting. As many of you know, I was a huge dummy and I spilled a full cup of hot tea all over my podcast laptop. The laptop is completely dead, but thankfully all of my files were saved. So now I have myself a new laptop and everything is cool again. I appreciate all of your kind words and, of course, your patience while I took some time for myself. Anyway, that's enough non-true crime chit-chat. So since this is the first episode of the year, I decided to talk about something that's true crime but with a more happy ending. Well... The whole story has its ups and downs, for sure, and the topic itself is a bit sad, but it's got one of the greatest endings, as far as true crime goes, that is. This is the case of a boy who was kidnapped when he was only two years old, and through the help of science and his mother's resilience, he was found 32 years later. This is the story of Mao Ying. This case takes place in the city of Xi'an, located in the province of Sanxi in China. If you recall a previous bonus episode where a lady gets trapped in the elevator and dies, yep, same city as that case. As for our main characters, allow me to introduce to you the Mao slash Li family. The dad, Mao Zhenping, and the mom, Li Jingzhi, and their son, Mao Ying. Mao Ying, nicknamed Jia Jia by his parents, was born on February 23, 1986. Just FYI, I will refer to him as Mao from now on. Like many families from that era, Mao was an only child. If you're not aware, China had a one-child policy for quite a long time, 36 years to be exact, from 1979 to 2015. This was a way to control population slash poverty since China's population was growing pretty rapidly at one point, until it wasn't. Generally speaking, families in the cities could only have one child, while those families in rural areas were allowed to have a second child only if their first child was a girl. I mentioned this maybe a couple times in my previous episodes about China, but having a son was strongly preferred back then. Traditionally speaking, they could carry on the family name, they could be more helpful when it comes to making money and working, and most importantly, parents could 100% rely on their son for elderly care, since having kids is somewhat considered a form of future insurance policy for the parents. The kids usually accept this and are happy to take care of their parents. 
daughters, in comparison, are not really useful, and once they get married, they quote-unquote belong to the husband's household. They most likely become a full-time homemaker, take care of the husband's family, and have no way to help their own parents. Yeah, I know, it sounds super antiquated and sexist, for sure. But that's how it was, and probably still is in certain areas. China is still the most populous country in the world at the moment, but India is probably going to surpass China in the near future. Anyway, the Mao family was a happy family. When the parents had to work, they would drop Mao off at daycare and pick him up after work. On their days off, they would spend as much time with their son as possible. Mao was described as a happy baby slash toddler. He didn't really cry very often, which I'm guessing was pretty great for the parents. And on top of that, he was very obedient, well-behaved, and smart. Basically the perfect Asian kid. Surely the parents had high hopes for him. Like many families, Mao became the center of the family, the glue that kept everyone together. October 17th. 1988 was the day everything went wrong for the family. Mao's mother was away for work. Sometimes her work would require her to travel to other areas in China during harvest season, meaning her son would be left under her husband's care, which isn't really a big deal since they made it work. So what happened? Mao's father went to work as usual, dropping his son off at daycare. Evening time rolls around. Dad gets off work, picks his son up from daycare. Typical day. While the pair were on their way home, Mao, who was two years and eight months old at the time, told his father he was thirsty and wanted to drink water. They stopped at a small local family-run hotel, and not thinking anything would happen, Mao's father left Mao, headed to the back to get him some water while the toddler waited out front. His father was gone for maybe two or three minutes tops. When he came out, though, his son was nowhere to be found. At first, he thought the child probably got bored or curious and wandered off. But how far could a tiny toddler possibly wander off to? He walked around, looked around, called for his son, and when he still couldn't find him, he began to panic. Could the toddler have really wandered off on his own? Or could somebody else be involved with his disappearance? Either way, Mao's father went to the police and Mao's mother was swiftly notified via telegraph by her employer. When Mao's mother was asked to return home immediately, she had no idea what it was about, just that it was an urgent family matter. She was then told that her son was quote-unquote missing, that could mean a lot of things, but at the time, Mao's parents both hoped he had just casually wandered off and was probably lost somewhere on the streets, and would probably be found by somebody sooner or later. Once their boy was found, this kind stranger would surely take the lost boy to a nearby police station, and the police would notify Mao's parents. They didn't seem to want to fully believe that their child was taken by somebody else. Maybe they were hoping for a best-case scenario, or they genuinely did not believe this could ever happen to them, or that people would be this horrible. That's how it is in lots of cases, though, isn't it? 
You see something terrible happen to someone you don't know. It's awful, but you can't really imagine the same thing happening to you until it happens to you. Or maybe certain things just never crossed your mind. Either way, they searched and hoped for the best. Mao's parents waited about a week before getting really frantic. They obviously hoped their boy was just lost, that somebody would find him, or he would just do the toddler thing and cry really loud to get somebody's attention. A week came and went. No one heard anything. Things were not looking good for sure. Not saying that the police was not out there looking, just maybe a bit more passively since they hoped it was not a kidnapping. Is it reasonable to blame the police for this error and assumption? Possibly. Maybe times were simpler back then, and no one felt like anyone could do something this awful. Or maybe the police were dismissive. Or maybe they did search. Who knows? Once things started to look bad, police started to search the entire province, even coordinating with law enforcement from nearby provinces. Mao's mother definitely wasn't going to sit by idly waiting for people to find her son, and she decided to take matters into her own hands. If she wasn't working, she was somewhere out there trying to find her son. Eventually, she felt like she could no longer work and dedicate herself to finding her son at the same time, so she quit her job. She made more than 100,000 flyers on her missing child, posted them on bulletin boards, handed them out at bus and train stations, anywhere with lots of people. She was just trying her best to get people to be aware of the situation. She put missing persons ads on newspapers, talked to the news reporters about her child, asked the public to keep an eye out. I can only imagine what it's like to have your child go missing. Is he lost? Was he kidnapped? If he was kidnapped for ransom, at least they would get a call from the kidnapper. At least they would have an idea as to what was going on. Instead, it's all just a huge mystery. He could be alive or he could be dead. It was impossible to know. Either way, someone you love is suddenly gone from your life. And that must be very hard to accept. When a child dies or goes missing, it can really affect the relationship between the parents. Many times we see couples separating after a tragic family event, and this is what happened to Mao's parents. After the initial panic subsided, Mao's mother went through a blame stage where she put blame on her husband as he was the one who was supposed to be watching their son. It's not really helpful, but I can see why she would feel this way. Is it his fault, though? I don't think so. If anything, he's a victim in this situation as well. Could he have been more careful and attentive? Yes, of course. But then again, maybe the idea of having his child abducted suddenly did not even cross his mind. I bet he felt immense regret and guilt over this as well. Call him naive, but if anyone is at fault, it should be those that directly caused Mao's disappearance, a.k.a. The kidnappers. It started to get too difficult for the couple to face each other when their son was missing. Lee spent most of her time looking for her son and spending time with her own mother. She pretty much avoided going home because the house now felt too empty, too cold. It no longer felt like home. About five years after their son's disappearance, the couple officially divorced. 
There were hundreds of leads over the years, but none of them led anywhere. People would try to help by alerting the authorities when they saw little boys matching Mao's description, but it was never him. Every time Mao's mother would hear about a couple from nearby towns adopting a toddler matching Mao's description, she would travel to that area and check it out herself. Every time someone submitted a tip on a lookalike, she would head on over and investigate herself. Sometimes traveling to other towns and cities took days, and tracking people down was not easy. She was constantly sleep-deprived and on the go. In one specific instance, she had received a tip about a young boy who was adopted in a nearby town. His age and description all matched her son, and of course, she immediately hit the road. The entire process sucked big time. Every time she arrived at a place the couple and child were rumored to be at, it would turn out she missed them by just a day or two. It almost felt like a weird cat and mouse game. After tracking them for a few days, Mao's mother, Lee, finally caught up with the family and, to her disappointment, the adopted child was not her son. Lee would return home defeated every time she did not return home with her child. She had trouble sleeping, she wasn't eating properly, she couldn't stop thinking about her son, and even when she finally managed to sleep, she would dream about her son calling for her. Sounds more like a nightmare, to be honest. She couldn't control her emotions when she saw her son's belongings, and finally, she admitted that she needed help. If things continued on this way, she would very likely get sick or even die before ever finding him, and that is the last thing she wanted. With the help of her family and doctors, she managed to regain her health, control her emotions better, and try to devote her energy into searching for her son. While being sad and depressed is absolutely understandable, she knew that this was not going to help her find her child. Not saying she immediately turned off her sadness like a switch. That is impossible. She definitely continued to allow herself to grieve. But now that she had a goal in life, she knew she had to keep it together. For her and for her son's sake. During the search for her son, Lee had come to realize that she was not alone in this situation. Far from it, in fact. Over the years, she traveled to at least 10 provinces in China and jumped at any chance to find her son. What she wasn't expecting was to come across hundreds of other parents looking for their missing child, and for someone who never realized that this was a problem, it really opened her eyes to an ongoing issue. Eventually, parents of missing children began to band and work together to help find as many missing children as possible, hoping that one of them might just be their own. Let's discuss something, though. How do these supposed kidnappings fit into the cultural climate at the time? Why so many missing kids, and mostly boys? As I mentioned earlier, there was a one-child policy going on at the time. Also, people flat-out favored boys over girls. What would happen if, say, no matter how hard the parents tried, a baby boy was just never meant to be? Or they were just unable to have kids, period? Rumor has it that back in the olden days, especially in rural areas, people would give birth to baby girls and kill the baby as soon as they were born. It's like they never existed. It wouldn't count towards their household, and then the parents could try again later and hope for a boy. I don't know if other cultures ever practiced something like this, 
But note that killing daughters and glorifying sons goes way back into Chinese history, like BCE era way back. Sounds pretty messed up, I know. And while I do not condone killing of babies, I also have no idea what kind of pressure the parents had to put up with, especially the mother. Keeping an unwanted daughter is also not a good plan for the family because that's just another extra mouth to feed. Since everyone favored boys, imagine giving birth to a girl. Your husband is disappointed, your mother-in-law is pissed and thinks you're useless. Husband's family proceeds to treat you like crap and thinks something is wrong with you. Neighbors feel sorry for you. How much would that suck? Sure, you can argue science and explain XX and XY all day long, but back then people didn't know this, and it was probably hard to believe that women, in fact, did not decide the baby's gender. Women were the ones getting pregnant, carrying it, and giving birth to it. So it sounds like it's the mother that's deciding the gender. Many families wanted children, preferably a boy. What if they were unable to get pregnant? What if adoption took too long and they just could not wait? This is where people who kidnap children for profit come in. Find a family wanting a kid. Kidnap some unsuspecting kid. Sell them to the family. Very scummy thing to do for sure, even if the child is not harmed during the process. It is still not a victimless crime. Again, we may not realize certain things are happening, nor do we realize how bad something is until we ourselves are involved in it. Because of her missing son, Lee and all these other parents with missing kids worked together and actually helped reunite families. Sure, a part of her felt a bit envious. She wanted to be the one reuniting with her son, but the work she was doing also made her feel like she was a step closer every single day. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. Maybe next month. Also, she could 100% relate to the pain and joy the reunited families felt, so in a way, it kept her going. She started her search in the late 80s, when technology was not really available, and in the 2000s, after the internet was introduced and after DNA testing became available, her work became so much easier. She continued to get leads about her son, who at this point was a full-grown adult, if still alive. Not many leads since too much time has passed, but occasionally. You bet your ass she never missed an opportunity to check the lead out. I would not have been surprised if at some point she wanted to give up, but she never did. It was sometime in the 2000s that she met up with her ex-husband, and she would later state that this was the first time he apologized to her. Although she appreciated it, she also understood his grief and feelings of guilt. She did not hold anything against him. It was just normal emotions while in a crappy situation. I imagine losing a child and never knowing what happened to them is terrifying. In many such cases, we see some parents make it their life's mission to find their child, even if it takes decades. It must be hard to fully accept defeat accepting that you'll have to continue the rest of your life never knowing what happened to them. It appears as if this is what Mao's father did after the divorce. I personally don't think there's a right or wrong in this. While I'm sure he would have loved nothing more than to find his son, he also felt that he had to continue living his life. As for Mao's mother, well, she trudged on, and in the year 2020, 
all of Lee's hard work, patience, and resilience finally paid off. Here's how, with the power of science, a mother was able to find her long-lost son. In late April of 2020, Lee received an anonymous tip about a man who could possibly be her son. According to the tip, this man was adopted many years ago from the city of Xi'an, which is where Mao was from originally. Even better though, they sent Lee a photo of the grown man, but at this point, it's been 32 years. I doubt anyone would be able to tell if it was Mao unless he had a visible birthmark or something. Little else was known about this mysterious 34-year-old man, so Lee took the photo and gave it to the police so they could run it through their facial recognition database. I would assume the police were willing to do this because of her ties with the volunteer group for finding missing children, and also because it was a fact that this man was adopted. Knowing how many people were kidnapped as kids, it didn't hurt to check. Anyway, he was identified as Gu Ningning, a 34-year-old man living in Chengdu City, in Sichuan province, which is a province that borders the province of Sanxi, where the Mao family is originally from. Although this Gu Ningning was adopted, it doesn't mean that he was legally adopted. So what did the police do with this information? The police coordinated with the police in Sichuan, tracked down Gu Ningning, and asked him to take a DNA test. I don't know if he could have said no, but either way, he did his DNA test, and the police tried to see if it matched with Lee. The entire process of following a lead, asking the police, finding his identity, to finding him in person and doing a DNA test, took about two weeks. On May 10th of 2020, which also happened to be Mother's Day, Lee received a call that she had been waiting for for the past 32 years. Gu Ningning was indeed her son, Mao Ying. I am both surprised but not surprised she found him. It's been 32 years, and China has a huge population. Finding one specific person is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. But then again, technology is great and pretty useful. A week later on May 18th, the Mao family reunited for the first time since 1988. Yes, including the father. Can't imagine how unnerving and exciting it must have been for all three of them. Wondering about the other person's reaction, worried if you'll feel rejected, or what if the parent-child connection is completely gone, and it's just plain awkward. The entire reunion was broadcasted on live TV, since this case was pretty well known in that area. It was a happy ending, and everyone wanted to witness this moment. The entire setup was a little dramatic, but hey, it was quite fitting for the occasion. When Mao walked into the room full of people, he immediately saw his mother and father, called out to her, and ran over and gave her a hug. The three hugged each other and cried happy tears. The long search for their missing child was finally over. Just because he was found doesn't mean we don't have questions about this whole situation. First of all, what exactly happened that night in 1988? Well, kidnappers targeted Mao when his father left him alone for a couple minutes. He was little, probably easy to snatch, and best of all, he was a boy. Couples who had no kids would pay good money for that. 
so they took him. I don't think they had a specific buyer when they took him, as it was later revealed that Mao wasn't adopted into a family until the following year, 1989. His adoptive parents paid the kidnappers 6,000 Chinese yuan for him, and in today's money that would be about 800 something US dollars. While this is a super shady transaction, the adoptive parents treated Mao like he was their own flesh and blood. He wasn't abused or anything like that, and it really seems as if they just really wanted a boy in the family. Not exactly the correct way to go about it, though, that's for sure. Mao knew he was an adopted child, but I doubt he knew the truth about his adoption. Crazy thing is, he had even come across his birth mother on TV talking about her missing child and how she was helping people reunite with their long-lost family members. He also remembers seeing a baby picture of himself on TV, but of course, back then he had no idea it was him. Later on, he revealed that he felt like the baby photo sort of resembled him, but he didn't really think much of it and just moved on from that. Imagine if he had been just a little bit more curious, though. But then again, babies and toddlers, sometimes they just look really similar. Another really good question. What about Mao's adoptive parents? Did they get in trouble? Well, it's a little tricky in this situation. There could be two ways of looking at it. One, they were complicit in the kidnapping. They knew the boy was kidnapped but decided to take him anyway because they just had to have a baby boy. Or maybe they were tricked by the kidnappers into believing that this was a real homeless kid in dire need of a home. Assuming they were aware though, then what they did was clearly illegal, immoral, wrong, selfish, and just plain awful. Even if they loved and cared for him, even if Mao did grow up living a normal life, it does not cancel out the kind of grief it brought onto his birth parents. I am almost positive the adoptive parents must have seen TV reports about reuniting kidnapped children with their parents, and they might have even seen Lee talking about it. If they did see it, There's no way they couldn't have known someone was looking for him. All that, though, is speculation on my part. Just what I believe could have happened. Assuming they knew he was kidnapped, I wonder if the parents lived in fear, wondering if their adopted son might one day realize he was once kidnapped, wondering if he might find out he was sold to his adoptive parents. He may even end up hating them if he found out the truth. This, though, was not the case. As you might already know, Chinese people are really big on family. Respecting elders, obeying elders, and taking care of parents. So despite finding out the truth, Mao was still grateful and appreciative of his adoptive parents. He loved and cared about them. As for Li, she felt very conflicted about what she wanted to do. On one hand, she wanted to punish those that made the last 32 years of her life miserable. Although the adoptive parents were not directly involved with the kidnapping, they did take part by purchasing a child illegally, assuming they had knowledge of this. As Lee explained it, it's a demand and supply situation. Kidnappers know childless parents are willing to pay money for a child, and so they deliver and profit. But on the other hand, She didn't want to cause more distress to an already overwhelming situation by turning against them. She knew her son loved his adoptive parents, 
and the last thing she wanted to do was to hurt him. It took her 32 years to finally find him. She was not about to go and ruin it. Also, her anger and frustration was mostly targeted at the kidnappers, because those people are the ones who took advantage of both sides and profited from it. It's a very sad and unfortunate situation overall, but I believe to Lee, finding her son was really all that mattered at the time. Also, Mao was treated very well, and that was one of the main reasons the adoptive parents were not targeted by the police. At least, that's what was reported on news sources. Information on the adoptive family was also censored. Maybe done so to protect them from angry mobs? What would you have done if you were in Lee's shoes? Now that we know what happened, what now? What plans do all parties involved have now? Mao, who is now 34, is married with kids and has his own interior decorating business back in Chengdu City. He has basically settled down and is living a good and stable life. He really wasn't expecting to suddenly find his birth parents and go through a huge dramatic ordeal like this. But things happen, and it's time to adjust his life to this new reality. Last year, after reuniting with his birth parents, he initially stated that he would want to split his time living in Xi'an with his birth parents and in Chengdu with his own family. Lee is very excited to have her son back in her life, and she also understands that her son should focus on his own family. She seems to just want a connection, and to be in each other's lives, and hearing that her son was willing to spend more time with her brought her immense joy. In another interview, though, Mao had stated that he was hoping he could bring his adoptive mother and his family from Chengdu to Xi'an, so he could be close to his birth parents as well. This guy is really trying hard to make everybody happy. I feel like he's doing the best he can, and I applaud him for handling the situation with so much grace. I would probably freak out and be super upset at everybody and pout all day long. It's even cooler that everyone else, especially his birth mother, was so thoughtful and understanding of everything and never tried to put him in a difficult spot, like... You can only have one mother. It's me or her. After Lee and Mao reunited, Lee took her son to all the places she used to take him to as a kid, and of course, he did not remember any of it. Lee realized that she was holding his arm a lot, maybe because she was afraid to let go again, afraid that she will lose him again. She had also kept most of Mao's baby clothes and toys, and the two spent some time going through photographs and his old belongings. She told him stories about the photographs, shared her fondest memories with him, told him about what she had been up to during these last 32 years, and the kind of work she had been doing with missing children. I'm positive Mao is not only impressed, he must be extremely proud of his mother. During her quest for her own son, Lee managed to reunite 29 families, her own son being number 30. It may not sound like a lot, but the work itself must be so difficult and tedious. In the year 2007, a man named Zhang Peng believed he was kidnapped from Xi'an when he was a child. He had vague memories of his childhood, so he must have been at least four or five when he was taken. He visited the public library in Xi'an, hoping to find newspapers from years ago so he could maybe pin down the year he went missing 
and maybe see his photo in the newspaper. Instead, he came across the article about a missing child named Mao Ying and decided he was going to contact the woman who seemed very intent on finding missing children. He met up with Lee and tried to tell her everything he remembered about his life. It was mostly bits and pieces, but he remembered his mother owned a cloth store, that he had an older brother, and he also happened to have a burn mark on his arm. At this point, Lee had amassed a huge database of people who had missing children in her city, so she cross-checked his information with what she had. Guess what? She actually found a match. And that is the story on how this man found his real family, all thanks to Lee. It's hard to say how many children go missing every year in China, but it's definitely in the thousands. What usually happens to these kids? Some are sold to families without kids who also are unwilling to go through adoption. Some are sold to people who practice child labor. Some are taken into gangs and groomed for prostitution or drug smuggling. Some end up sold to Western families because, quote-unquote, they are richer. The possibilities are endless, and I doubt this is unique to China. Kidnappers prefer targeting children in rural areas because they know that these families are poor, which will make it harder for them to look for their kids due to lack of resources. These kidnappers and human trafficking groups have pretty much found multiple ways to avoid police detection and perfected their ways, so even when kids are reported missing to the police, the case usually goes cold. Some people believe that the original one-child policy and the obsession with baby boys is the main reason why so many kids are kidnapped. Some local governments have also been called out for being corrupt. They would secretly work with orphanages, procure children, force families with more than one child to hand them over to orphanages so they could take care of them. In reality, governments just require families with extra kids to pay a fine. And that's it. Some families who were tricked by the government officials and orphanages had come forward later on, but by that time, it was too late to do anything for them. I believe it was easier to get away with these shady activities back in the 80s or 90s. Not so much now since we have technology. I believe people who are committed to shady things will always find a way to be shady, and I can only hope there will always be more good people than bad people out there. So, there you have it. The happy ending story of a boy who was once lost, but then was found again, 32 years later. If you're into true crime, you often come across cases where family members continue to search for someone, or they continue to fight for someone's innocence. Sometimes these things become a life mission, a big part of who you are. And it makes sense. Who wouldn't want to fight for someone they love and care for? Lee dedicated her life to finding her son, and to many people's surprise, everything worked out. Chinese culture is also known as a culture of silence, where people tend to stay out of other people's business because they don't want to get caught up or involved. Sometimes it's fine, but many times it allows bad people to get away with bad things because they know no one is likely to intervene, as in ignoring a child getting kidnapped. In an ideal world, everyone would be on their best behavior and no one would commit crimes, but since that's not realistic, we can only try to be good people and help out others when they may need assistance.
So that's it for today. Thank you all for tuning into this episode. I appreciate your patience and your time. Take care. Stay safe. Till next time. Before I go, I would like to thank my most recent reviewers, Nancy CZ, Anarchist GNM, Saw1971, and Forever Weird and Strange, all from the U.S. Thank you for all your kind words. I still blush and smile like a dork when I read reviews. It's embarrassing. As for my Patreon friends, thank you Blake Alexander, Kit, Alex Hughes, and Neil Smith. You guys are too kind and generous. While we're talking about Patreon, I would just like to let you all know that I will be cancelling my Patreon for the time being. As you can see, working on my normal episodes can be a bit overwhelming at times. I honestly don't think I can keep up with extra Patreon episodes at the moment. Maybe one day I will bring back Patreon extras again. Who knows? But for now, I would just like to thank all my past and present Patreon members. Your generosity has really helped me. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.